This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Equalizer podcast time. Dan Lawletta, John Halloran taking you through the podcast this week as we get what was supposed to be the first full week of the NWSL fall series. Unfortunately, wildfires out west didn't cooperate. Thorns and rain had to be rescheduled from Saturday to Tuesday night. We'll see if that one gets done. Dash and Courage, though, got moved from Friday into the CBS window on Saturday. And if you like goals, you like that game. It was a 4-3 win for the Courage. Also, the Spirit fell behind and came back and beat the Red Stars 2-1 in stoppage time. So we'll talk fall series. We'll also talk a little European soccer. Officially signing this week at Manchester United, Tobin Heath, Kristen Press. Also, Alex Morgan headed to Tottenham and already a surprising result in France. So, uh, John, as we kick it off, courage and dash over the weekend. And this should have been, you know, a really significant game because the courage obviously been the gold standard in the league since they got to North Carolina in 2017. But the dash snuck in and won the Challenge Cup. Now, these were not really the full courage and the full dash. But, uh, you know, I thought the game was interesting. Courage did a lot of different things, but also were very courage-like. And, you know, despite giving up two late goals, you know, I thought the Dash did a pretty good job without their best player, Rachel Daly, who is in England as well. Um, you know, I thought it was an entertaining game. I don't think it says a lot, but, you know, a little symbolism and the fact that, the you know, the perennial champions face off against the uh, surprise champions and it, it gave them a pretty good game. It was a great game, at least for, you know, your your entertainment dollar, I think, in terms of, you know, watching a, an entertainment uh, 90 minutes and seeing a red card, two red cards this weekend, by the way, which that's, that's like seeing a, a white whale in the NWSL. It's true. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I thought it was kind of a tale of two halves in the first half. I thought Houston played really well. I thought Prince was all over the place. Groom and Mewis were, were combining. They were tearing North Carolina's three back to um, and see, the second half was the tale of Dabinia just deciding to take over and win the game by herself almost. Yeah, it's interesting. I could jump off on a few points there, but on the Shea Groom factor, I, it, it, we talked about this during the Challenge Cup, but it is so nice to see Shea Groom back yep. playing the way Shea Groom plays. And, you know, you're not going to ever build an offense around Shea Groom scoring goals, but if you've got other good players around Shea Groom, and she has that aggressive style, she can change the entire course of the game just by taking on a defender, whether with the ball or when the defender has the ball. And, it, you know, it is really nice that James Clarkson has kind of figured out how to utilize her. And I think if we can get a full season of her and Rachel Daly playing together, you might really see some magical stuff. 
the two assists that Groom had in the first half were unbelievable. She obviously had that one where she goes in off the Dahlkemper giveaway and then the really just smart, composed layoff to Latsko for that, that goal. But the other one, if you go back and watch that, I think there's a lot of focus on, on Mua scoring the goal because it was such a nice shot. She, you know, she beats Labe uh, from a tight angle on Labe's near post. But go back and watch Groom's buildup in that. She beats two defenders and then just barely gets something on the ball to to set Mewis into that space. Really, really nice, uh, particularly first half from Shea Groom. You think it's fair to say that the Dash played as well as they did as a result of what they did over the summer? I think probably in terms of getting those combinations set up, because I think the one thing that we saw this summer, because listen, it's just kind of like what you were saying, that it's nice to see Groom do well. It's the same with Mewis, right? Like we knew they were both quality players, but whether the teams they were playing on weren't strong enough or whether their form wasn't in the right spot at the right time to see them be able to combine. And again, we saw this in the challenge cup. So I think we're seeing some really nice building blocks for Houston and obviously they won the challenge cup, but you know, as hopefully we get back to a more normal world in 2021, I think you're seeing what, you know, potentially could be, the, the face of their franchise for the next few years and maybe take them to their first playoffs and uh, kind of put them in that, that realm of the upper tier for the first time. A couple of interesting stats. Both were sent along by our friend Jen Cooper. One, the Dash have not won a game where Rachel Daly hasn't played in four years. Wow. Now, she's played a lot of the games in, in that stretch, but not all of them, so that's still significant. Uh, and number two, the goal that they scored to take the lead was the fifth time in the NWSL that a team has scored when they've been down one player. And that challenge by Chapman for the second yellow card is one of the stupidest challenges I've ever seen. Not the, like the worst challenge, but you're on a yellow card. You, I mean, that wasn't even close. That was just not a good idea. That almost, you know, that was like, hey, look, I, you know, please send me off. I'm going to do something really stupid. Um, not a good look there by Chapman, who now misses the next Dash game. Well, it, I mean, honestly, you, you could say the exact same thing, and I think some people might even disagree that McCaskill's might have been worse yep. in that same regard. And neither one of them are. And Savannah McCaskill argues every single call and non-call throughout the course of a game, and she barely blinked at the second yellow card, so that'll show you what, it, <laughs> you know, yeah. what she thought of that. Um, on the courage here, three back... I think we can safely yeah. say didn't work. Now, Riley apparently told the broadcast team that he's going to do it throughout the right. fall series. Now, right. does he, you know, do his competitive juices start flowing and he and he doesn't do it? Now, again, look, there's no Hinkle, there's no Ursaig, so it's not like he's running out his best defenders in this odd system. And Addison Merrick also got hurt, had to come out of the game in like the first eight minutes or whatever it was. The three back was not good. The dash tore apart. The three back. At the same time, the courage were still like, you know, we lose the ball, let's get the ball, let's push, push, push. So they looked very courage like, I didn't love the three back. I think other teams might also tear it apart, but I hope he sticks with it because I just think it would be, you know, kind of cool. A little Rory Dames like to be like, you know what, these are not complete competitive games, so we're just going to try something new. 
Yeah, I think there's actually a lot to say about that because my initial impression off the first half, um, I literally wrote in my notes, don't ever play a three back again because it was just so bad. But as you mentioned, obviously their their talent level is not where it, it should be with all of the players that have uh, either elected not to play or gone overseas. I'm What I'm really curious about is if there's a longer term plan here, because initially my thought was you've got this winning box midfield that we've talked about over and over and over. And I've talked about, at least in my opinion, how I think this is this, you know, genius, innovative move that nobody has has made any sort of real effort to match or shut down. Um, but Riley played a box midfield in Portland for a very short period of time in 2015. And he played it with a three back. He was playing a three, six, one. That's right. So I remember that. It makes me wonder if he is looking ahead to next year and saying maybe he thinks that because he has one too many national team players and he's going to lose one in the expansion draft, or maybe there is something to the multiple times that Crystal Dunn has been rumored to leave, or maybe Mewis doesn't come back for a year or two. Um, So maybe there is something going on there where he doesn't think he can play a four back or maybe he, or I'm sorry, a, a box midfield, or maybe he wants to play the box midfield with a three back and see what that looks like. So it just makes me really curious um, because I think he is the type of coach who is thinking far ahead. And it makes me wonder where his mind is at in terms of what he's thinking. Because again, for what we saw, I don't think it's, it's the way to go. But again, they don't have their regular players here. So I think they're trying to take a look at, you know, what they do have and where they might, where those players might fit in. Because with that expansion draft, whether it's losing one of his national team players or whether he decides to, you know, jump ahead of that process and trade one of them away or whether he starts losing, you know, I mean, because if you look at the courage, their 11 has been so solid and in what, 10 of those players have been consistent over the past two to three seasons and injury free too. Yeah. So like, he's probably going to lose a player or two that he needs and he, I'm sure he knows that. So, I'm wondering how much of this is is looking ahead to where he thinks he's going to have to to move his team tactically for 2021. And the smart money is still on Dal Kemper being the player, yeah, that gets taken in the expansion draft or traded. I mean, there was a trade for Dal Kemper that was in place last offseason when everybody thought Sacramento was coming in, and that was to protect against expansion. And then when expansion didn't happen, the trade didn't happen. So, yeah, you know, can I add one other thing, too? Yeah. I, I don't think we should be too harsh on the three-back as a system, uh, even though I don't think there's a lot of examples of it working professionally, um, because we saw that Utah made it work in the Challenge Cup. And so I think, there, I think there's a, a, a possibility that it can work with the right players, with the right coach over the right length of time. And it, whatever you think about Paul Riley, he has shown that he can take a system that players are not familiar with, get players to buy in and make it work. You also mentioned Dabinia, who had the incredible goals, especially the first one. I thought yeah. the game-winning goal, I didn't think Campbell got a great 
jump on that. She kind of went down too soon, maybe. I don't. It was a turnover, so maybe she wasn't expecting. I'm not saying it wasn't a great goal and a great shot, but I thought, and maybe I'm too hard in general on Jane Campbell, but I didn't think that was her best effort. The first one was sensational, phenomenal. But I mean, is it time? You know, I don't know if Dunn's leaving or not, but I don't think it's just completely made up that it's possible. Is it time to start building this team around what's best for Dabinia? Because, I mean, she's the best player in this fall series, right, by a pretty good margin. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I'm not a big absolute type of person. I don't, I don't like saying this is the best player, but you could make a really strong argument that she's the best player in the league right now and maybe has been the best player in the league for the last season and a half, two seasons. I mean, she's, I don't think it's debatable that she's the best player on the current rosters. Is she the best player in the league? I, I think you can make a really good case for it. Now, and, ironically, and you, one of the other, one of the alternatives is probably Crystal Dunn, who's not in the fall yeah. series, but is still in the league and on her team. So that's pretty unbelievable. But I mean, and Dabini is so much better now than when she got to the NWSL. It's been beautiful to watch her get better. Well, the thing about her too, that impresses me is that when you're looking at players that contribute a lot of goals, you're obviously normally looking at forwards, but she's showing that out of the midfield, that not only can she be that spark and create and lay balls off and find seams, but she can also score. And when you put those two things together, it makes her one of the most valuable players because obviously if you're not scoring goals, you're not winning games and she can, she can help your team do that in a multitude of ways. Let's also uh, throw out the name Riley Baisden. This is a player that probably nobody heard of until they either read the roster or she came in the game was, uh, I guess, Lynn Williams roommate at Pepperdine, meaning she's not, you know, incredibly young. And what does she do about a minute and a half after she comes in? She beats two defenders and passes the ball back to Lynn Williams, who decides to save, you know, Lynn Williams, who can't finish, decides to save one of her best finishes to get an assist for her former roommate, who apparently she was touting to Riley to sign. Yeah. Now, again, I don't know if any of these players are going to wind up sticking when there's full, full rosters again in 2021, but pretty cool to see that and very courage like to just bring in a player nobody ever heard of off the bench to help turn the game around. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, I, just on that note, looking at some of these rosters the past few weeks, I it was looking at Orlando's roster too and just like hadn't heard of a fair number of those players. Yeah, well, so many of them are overseas at this point and I mean, you know, we didn't even see them in the Challenge Cup because of their COVID positive, so it'll be really interesting to watch when they finally take the field uh, real quick on the uh, spirit red stars game. And again, good game team rallies from behind wins it in stoppage time. You get two players with their first goals in the league. Um, you know, I didn't take anything too terrific out of this game. I thought both goalkeepers who were two of the best had some dodgy moments in there. Um, although Bledsoe kind of made up for it with the kick save after she seemed to misread the Kalia Watt, ball that went overhead and hit the, either the post or the crossbar. But, uh, you know, Sarah Luber, Jesse Scarpa, first NWSL goal, so good on them. Yeah, you know, and Luber was one that had, I think, three different moments in the first half, not including a goal, that uh, she showed really well. And so, you know, maybe there's there's something there that they can build out of, uh, out of her for the future. And I, I, Listen, I know the talking point is McCaskill making a, a bad decision, but it, it, I think it's even more of a shame because I thought she was having such a terrific game. I thought the first 40 minutes from her, 
you know, the, the runs, the penetrating runs that she was making up the field, switching the field. She found Kaylee Watt in behind twice. Um, she almost found Di Bernardo behind once. She was winning the ball back. Her defensive effort was terrific. And then, of course, boom, she's off, and it's, you know, it's a different game then. And again, hopefully the Thorns and the air quality in Portland is good enough that they can get their game in Tuesday night against O.L. Rain. It's 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but nice to see the courage figure out and the dash figure out very quickly. And it's a lot easier when you're not dealing with people who have bought or will buy tickets to your game, but they move that game on pretty short notice from Friday night to Saturday to accommodate the CBS window. So good job there. Uh, we mentioned the Pride. They'll be in action on CBS next weekend in North Carolina. That's Saturday. And then a Sunday doubleheader, Red Star, Sky Blue, and Thorns Royals. And then you'll have seen everybody in the league. So um, that will wrap up segment one. We'll be back and uh, switch the conversation over to Europe. Dan Lawletter with John Halloran on Equalizer Podcast. What's up, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here, founder of The Equalizer. I want to make sure that you know we also have another podcast called Kicking Back, which is interview-based. We talk to players, coaches, personalities from across women's soccer about defining moments in their career and some important things from the present day and look ahead a little bit to the future. We've had guests like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Jill Ellis, Bev Yanez, Ali Riley, Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm, so many already, and many more to come. So please go ahead and check out Kicking Back Pod on any platform you find your podcast after, of course, you've finished up with this episode of the Equalizer Podcast. Back on the Equalizer podcast for segment two with a reminder to please check out our website, EqualizerSoccer.com, or for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. And if you're not a member yet, check out EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe and start your free seven-day trial today. And if you like what you hear on the podcast, please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. Dan Lawletter with John Halloran and just... Um, you mentioned off there in between Crystal Thomas, and um, I'm going to steal your Crystal Thomas thunder, but I think she's a contender to be like the next Kristen Hamilton, like a down draft. I don't even think she was drafted. Player who, you know, I remember a few years ago she was like signed and then waived and all that stuff. And I think Crystal Thomas has a chance to really be a, a contributor. I, I would just suggest that anybody who, you know, didn't maybe didn't see the full play because I checked and all the all the gifts that were online just showed like her final pass and then Scarpa scoring the goal. But go back and watch the 10 seconds before the final pass, because her work out there on the flank um, to create that space was tremendous. All right. European wise, uh, we were supposed to have Susie Rack on this week, but uh, unfortunately, Susie ran into some uh, issues after her. Uh, FAWSL match, so she's asked us to push it back. So hopefully next weekend we'll get Susie Rack on to discuss kind of the uh, English perspective on all the signings over there. But this week it became official. Uh, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath to Manchester United, and Alex Morgan is going to be at Tottenham. So, you know, Manchester United actually scored five goals this weekend, and they were not a big scoring team, and there was no Press or Heath. Uh, but it seems like that's not a huge story over there. 
Um, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but uh, what are your quick thoughts on that and, and Alex Morgan news? Well, I don't think that that anybody would be totally shocked because we've always kind of assumed or seen that England doesn't quite put enough focus on women's soccer just in general, um, that, that maybe stuff like that would get overlooked. But um, just it, just like we've talked about many times before, I think one of the things that England getting these top players is starting to show is how much of a gap there is between those top players and the rest of the league. We've seen that in the French league for years. And I know that earlier today you tweeted about, you know, the, the PSG Lyon race, you know, potentially being maybe not over, but already, you know, it's, it's September and PSG has suffered a major blow to their title chances because these leagues are so insanely imbalanced and, I think what you're seeing on the opposite end is the NWSL absent most of these big stars, not really having a drop off uh, because the talent pool is just so incredibly deep. Yeah, I actually uh, um, I'm not sure if I said this on last week's podcast or somewhere else, but I like the NWSL the way this year has gone because there are enough of the Dabinias and, you know, Ertz in the Challenge Cup and players like that that you still get your star power, but there's enough depth in the overall player pool that you get your Jesse Scarpas and your Sarah Luberts and, and players like that. And I think it's been really nice. It's better than the World Cup when everybody's gone. But it's, you know, I, I think it, it shows that NWSL's got a pretty deep player pool. Yeah, and like, you know, you go back and you think about the Challenge Cup and you – Look at a story like uh, Brie Vasali and what she did, or Kelly Hubley, or as we've talked about, you know, Kate Delfava, um, Bianca St. George, some of these players who stepped in and had these incredible, uh, you know, runs because they've had this little tiny crack of an opportunity that they've been able to jump into and make the most of it uh, because we're kind of in this weird situation with a fair number of players either opting out or, or being loaned abroad. And it's still fun, I think, if you're a fan of the NWSL. Now, are you going to maybe sell less tickets once fans are back if, if Alex Morgan isn't coming to town? Of course. I, I, I've written about this before, that, you know, whenever Alex Morgan comes to town, that's usually one of the highest attended games. You know, she's almost better for away teams than she is for Orlando because she's a draw. But in terms of the level of soccer, I don't really think we've seen a drop-off. And just quickly on the Morgan being a draw thing, I, and that's not any different from other sports leagues. You know, there, no, there's no draw to the Cleveland Cavaliers coming to your city. But when LeBron James is on the Cavaliers, all yeah. of a sudden you circle that day on the calendar. So, you know, I don't think that's unique to women's soccer. But can we talk for a moment about the Women's Super League? Because they got all these signings, and I know Morgan's not there, and Press isn't there, and Heath isn't there, and Lavelle's not there yet. But... Um, two teams scored nine goals over the weekend. Now, that can happen, yep. right? There was a Barcelona-Real Madrid game a few years ago that was 7 nothing. That's not, indi- not indicative of how far apart the two teams are. But Arsenal beats West Ham on the road 9-1 on Saturday. Chelsea had nine different players score in a 9-0 win over Bristol City. Sam Kerr got the ninth goal in that game. 
that it, you know that league still has a ways to go, and I don't want to just look at the scoreboard and say that, you know, because at the same time, Man City got held at home by scoreless by uh, Bright. I don't even know how to say it. Brighton. I'll just leave it at that. Brighton Hove Albion. There you go. Brighton Hove yeah. Albion. Thank you. Um, but that you know, look, don't tell me when there's a nine-one and a nine-nothing game that that league is as deep or as good as the NWSL top to bottom. Yeah, you know, a couple of years ago, I did a breakdown. Now, this is a couple of years old, but I did a breakdown of the differences, the average gold differential between the NWSL and uh, Division One Feminine, the, the top French league. And the, it was twice. It, the gap in, in gold differentials was twice as big in the French league because of the blowouts that happened there. And I'm sure if you did an early analysis of the WSL, you would see something similar. There, there's just a huge gap. It's it's ludicrous when you see these people talking about the American stars going abroad and that meaning, you know, the death of the NWSL or the weakening of the NWSL. Um, the European leagues from top to bottom are not even close uh, to even your bottom NWSL teams. Yeah, and if you want the full scoreboard from England over the weekend, Arsenal 9-1 over West Ham, Chelsea 9-0 over Bristol City, Everton 1-0 over Tottenham, Man United. Man, again, Manchester United did not score a lot of goals last year in their first season. In the top flight, they get five on Birmingham City, Manchester United. Uh, sorry, Manchester City scoreless against. John, say it again. What? Oh, was it Brighton Hove Albion? There you go. <laughs> okay. And uh, Reading beat Aston Villa. Three to one, and as I mentioned in the, on Twitter, and as you referenced, PSG with a zero-zero away draw against Bordeaux, and you know that shouldn't be a big deal, right? Week two, you're on the road, zero-zero. There was a penalty missed in that game by PSG, but Lyon do, literally does not drop points to anybody besides occasionally PSG. So that's two points dropped for Lyon. So that means if they split the season series, like it, like when Lyon when Lyon loses to a team outside PSG in that league, that will be incredibly big news. So PSG is now probably in a spot where they're going to have to beat Lyon two times, which hasn't happened in a very long time. And maybe the quote unquote rivalry is overstated because Lyon has beaten PSG for the league title. You know, it was a more than a decade run now yeah. for Lyon. So, yeah. But that, I mean, that you know, England's got a lot on on the French league because the French league literally has two teams, and in England at least has three or four teams that you can maybe make an argument for. Well, and we see it in other leagues too, right? We see it in Germany, we see it in in Spain. It's 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 just the way it is. Yeah, it would be you know, and again, there are corners of the men's game in Europe that are similar but it's not quite as extreme as it is right now on the women's side. I mean, because the European model for a long time now for the men has been the top teams thrive and the teams on the bottom kind of fight to stay up. And then some teams, you know, you win your second division and you make an, you know, you go to the top flight and you maybe get relegated, but you make enough TV money and you make, you know, with those same, draws you're talking about you know if you get man united and arsenal and chelsea to come in you get big crowds and you make enough money to buy enough players that when you go back down you win your second division now that money's not the same on the women's side but it is certainly slanted toward the top a couple of questions from twitter this week and let's start with 
our friend XO Woso, watching the WSL, and it's obviously highlighting the importance of parity. Our NWSL players at a deficit for international accolades because they can't put up these crazy scoring metrics. There's only been a margin of victory of six three times in NWSL history. How can there be player comparison? You want to take this one first? I mean, I would just say that um, for international awards, what we have seen over the past few years is that most of that comes from the national team. Um, and it's so slanted towards the national team that we see players winning awards, sometimes even two or three years after a World Cup, based solely on that performance, even when their, their subsequent national team and, and club seasons are terrible. They're still winning these awards because the average voter in those types of things is so ill-informed. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, if if it became where club level was a big deal, that might possibly be a factor. But at the moment, I agree. The international awards are basically, you know, what do you do for your national team? Emily Frake, based on how she's playing in Sweden, do you think Sana's stock is up or down for the U.S. Olympic roster? Uh, to be honest, I haven't seen a second of the Swedish league. I think the first game for Sonnet over there, she was an unused sub, but I think the fact that she's in Sweden in general is probably uh, kind of stocked down at this point, but it's impossible to say because we don't know how much time they'll be to prep. We don't know what kind of games they're going to have. But if I had to bet right now, I would say Sonnet is not in Tokyo this summer, even if there's an Olympics. Yeah, it's tough because she was – probably near the bottom of the 23 in France. And we know obviously that's going to get cut down to 18 and that doesn't even include, you know, players who just missed the roster like Casey short, maybe working her way back or it doesn't account for things like Lynn Williams, you know, whose stock seems to be rising. Um, it doesn't account for the fact that, you know, uh, because of the delay, there's there, you're going to have players that are two years older and, and time has passed. So we really, don't know. And I, I would just say that anybody watching games in Sweden, you should be sharing those links online if you're finding them because, uh, yeah, I wasn't even aware that, that it was an option to watch those games. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if it is or not, but I know I haven't seen any. Um, the women's football report, do you think any of the U.S. players will be involved in U.S. camps in the coming months if they move forward? I assume that means players who are overseas. You know, I actually asked that question to Sam U.S., and somebody else asked it to Rose Lavelle, and they both said in what seemed like an answer that might have been prepped for them ahead of time, I'm good for camps. But at the moment, I don't think so because there's a quarantine. Um, you, know, you got a quarantine when you go either way, and that's too many days to be in quarantine. You'd have to miss like a month of your club season. So I'm thinking no, but who knows when those camps will be and what things are going to change in terms of the public health situation we have going on. We also don't know what the contracts say because the thing that apparently even now, after all these years, people still don't quite understand is that when the, these players are in the NWSL, they are not contracted with their NWSL teams. They are contracted through U.S. soccer, and so – they're available for all U.S. camps. U.S. soccer, much to the chagrin of fans and NWSL head coaches, the U.S. players are yanked out of their clubs sometimes a week or even longer before international breaks and tend to come back slower from international breaks than you would see anywhere else 
in the world. So we don't know what's written into those European contracts. Maybe those players are being given special dispensation to come back for U.S. camps. Or maybe if you're Sam Mewis, Rose Lavelle, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, you know, Alex Morgan, if you're one of those top, top tier players, maybe Vlatko has just said, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, when we have these camps, we're going to be focusing on, you know, uh, 12 through 23 on the roster and not necessarily our first 11. Right. But the dispensation wouldn't um, put them above having to go into quarantine when they come back. That No, you're right. I was just adding another thing on top of that. Yeah. And you know what? If I'm Vlaco right now and I have no idea, I'm sure he knows more than we do. But basically, if you have no idea when we're playing again, I think the smart yeah. bet is to say, go play. Yep. For. Chelsea, Manchester City, whoever, and yeah, don't worry about the camps. Now that hasn't been the case in the past because you know I've always been a you know you played twelve months. How about we give Becky Sauerbrunn off the January camp? That right. hasn't been that has never happened <laughs> ever. But yeah, you know, this is a new regime in there. Well, All right, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, it, as much hand wringing as there was this week as as these moves were announced. It almost to me seems the dumber move to stay here because you're going to play three, four games in the fall series, maybe because some players have already opted out of that. And now you're looking until what, February before the NWSL preseason for 2021 would kick off, Yep. you know, assuming that we're in some sort of a normal state at that point. So now you're going to take another five months on top of the six months that we've already had. You're going to sit out a year almost without competitive games, because even a player, you know, if, if you look at the team, let's say, so Chicago and Houston were in the final. So Chicago had Ertz and Nayer and Gautreau. Those players, you know, between the Challenge Cup and the Fall Series are going to end up with 10 games over 12 months. That's insane. There's no way that you can stay fit and in form for an Olympic Games having that little competition. You know, it's ironic because I thought in the short term it would actually help some players to not have such a, yeah. you know, congested schedule. But that's over now because this has right. gone on a lot longer than we thought it would when, the, right. you know, when we all shut down in March. So now it's went from, hey, maybe we're being helped out by getting a few months of mandated rest to like, whoa, we got to get some game action in here. So I think you're right. I think it is. I don't know if it's foolish, but. You know, if you don't have because, you know, if you don't have a January camp, then you're starting to get tight for the Olympics. And, you know, again, look, if there's no January camp, does that maybe lessen the chances of an Olympics? I know it's not directly related, but, you know, you you cannot go to the Olympics with injured players. I think we learned that with Rapino in 2016 because maybe they'll expand the rosters, but I doubt it. All right. Um, someone who looks like name is Emily. And uh, this one's sort of on the same track here. I'm trying to stay focused on what the big picture looks like for the NWSL and all these players moving out of the country, but I'm not really sure what that big picture is quite yet. Trying to envision what the league will look like in the next one, two, five years on thoughts perspective. Um, our boss, Jeff Kasouf, has been all over this, <laughs> um, both on Twitter and in uh, when we talk to him, you know, privately about how the league is not dying and this is not an end of the world type thing. And I think you just hit on it. You know, you, these players have to find a place to play. You know, if it's 2022 and we're in a second straight regular year and like 15 of the 
25 regular national team players are playing overseas with no thoughts on coming back. That might be a slight concern. But first of all, you've got to be able to ship players out to get players in. And I think ultimately, unless COVID, you know, kills the league, which it doesn't seem like it's going to, you're going to get more and more money coming into the league. And I think we're going to be just fine. Yeah. And we're going to see players continue to want to come over here even though maybe, you know, NWSL teams can't match some of the big European clubs in terms of pay because those players are going to want to get better and are going to want to play in a more competitive physical environment. We saw Amadine Henri say very uh, similar things to that in terms of her decision to to come over to Portland for uh, a short time before the last World Cup. And let's say... For argument's sake, let's say Sam Mewist has such a great time playing in Manchester City that she says, you know what, I don't ever want to go back to the U.S. I'm going to make my career in England. Let's say she becomes the best player in the world, bar none, playing in the in the WSL. So what? Right. I mean, we want her here. Of course we want her here. She's an American player. She's fabulous to watch. But, you know, if the, if we're counting on two or three players being here, you know, that's – we're beyond that point, I think. We, yeah. We've finally gotten past the point where you absolutely positively need these stars in order to make the league viable. So, And we, we should recognize, too, that the on-field contributions of a lot of these players have been pretty minimal over the past couple of years, whether that's because they've been hurt or whether that's because they're constantly pulled out of, you know, out of the league play for national team camps. Um, there's a fair number, I and mean, we don't talk about it. We don't want to say it out loud, but there are a fair number of U.S. players that haven't really done a lot of on-the-field uh, stuff in the NWSL for the past couple of years. Yeah, the biggest news they make is either going to another league or being injured, right? Well, I think, like I said, they're, they're still a big draw, and I still think they're part of the marketing, and obviously they're part of ticket sales and, and all of that. And obviously, a lot of them were here at the beginning. So I'm not trying to imply that they don't care about the NWSL or they don't care about growing Woso. But we have to be honest. Like, there are some of these players who are – we know this. And, again, this is not a criticism, but they are paid by U.S. soccer, which means that they try to get healthy and in form for national team camps and for World Cups and for Olympics. And so when they have to make a choice of when to rest or when to get a surgery – they're going to do that during the club season. They always have, and that's just the way the system is set up. Yeah, I agree. And I think we're getting a little better on that front, but it's still where U.S. soccer is paying the salary. So, you know, in terms of the big picture, that that is the question. What happens when U.S. soccer stops paying the salaries? And yeah. does U.S. soccer want to stop? Does the NWSL want them to stop? I think an end game is necessary, but – I'm not totally sure what that's going to look like, but I do not think anymore. I think taking COVID out of the equation, we are not on a death watch for NWSL. We haven't (laughs) been for a long time. Right. So uh, with that in mind, we will be back next weekend. We got a full four games because, remember, there is a Tuesday night Thorns rain game, 10 p.m. Eastern time. That is a rescheduled game. It was supposed to be CBS, but the air quality – not good enough. Hopefully things improve enough important that they can play that game on Tuesday. 
full slate next weekend plus the podcast. Hopefully we'll have Susie Rack on. And I can confirm that Crystal Thomas of the Washington Spirit was not drafted by an NWSL team, but nonetheless has been a very positive contributor for the Spirit. And I think she's going to continue to get better. But for John Haller and my name is Dan Lalletta. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Equalizer podcast. Thank you.